I feel a lot of alarm over the discovery that the way we do church is the thing we've been saved from. That way we do church in many cases in America is the very thing that Jesus died to save us from. And so that's alarming. Welcome everyone to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we're seeking to recover from bad ideas about God and recover the gospel. I'm Kent, and this is Nathan. This is the Faith Recovery symbol. This is the hand sign. Okay, all right. You guys will have to watch us online. Look, yeah, follow us on TikTok and you'll see the symbol. Okay. <laughs> we are um, in a series called According to Scripture. This is our fourth episode. Called Out is the name of this episode. Called Out. Nathan's going to help us today understand some aspect of our faith, which goes all the way back to the beginning. This idea that God is calling people out of corrupt society, calling them to Himself, and calling them to a uh, to form a new society under God. Beautiful, is that right? Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, it's exactly true. Oh, so what do we got? Do you want to start with like um, I don't know if the keywords matter much, just because it just they probably won't come back up. But maybe you'll start with highlights. What do you think? Let's do it. Highlights right. number one. Sin and its consequences spread through human society, polluting and degrading it. So there's a view of human society, of human nature there. It's negative. Sin and its consequences spread through human society, polluting and degrading it. What's our second highlight? Second highlight. Human governments and legal systems restrain and spread, uh, restrain the spread and intensification of sin, but they also restrict individual development. Okay, so they're both good and bad. The man is going to try to keep you down, but don't defund the police because your neighbor is coming at you. Okay, okay. that was okay. embellishment. Okay. All right. I embellished that part. Third, institutions eventually become agents of sin oh, what happened? in small and large ways. In other words, they become corrupt. Institutions become corrupt. Yes, they do. Number so, four. Yeah, those uh, who's, who's uh, policing the police, right? Who's watching the the watchers. <clears throat> People can only become truly righteous when God calls them out of their corrupt society to trust in his promise. Hmm. So being called out is essential to our becoming what we were meant to be. Hmm. Yes, because if you do good just because the cops are going to get you, you don't get points. You don't get points for that, right? So there's the two side, two headed coin is or two sided coin is that, you know, one, you uh, the society, if it becomes corrupt, it's a negative agent on us. And so if we do what the society wants when there's corruption involved, then we're doing what I think most people would consider evil. Um, But if the society is functioning as it should in, in terms of restraining human evil and so. You know, you don't rob a liquor store because you don't want to go to jail. That doesn't make you a good person. Mm -hmm. And so um, we really have to be free from human society, even when it's functioning as it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When the the governments and the laws are good and they're being enforced and it's making for us a better society, it doesn't mean it's making us better people. Right. Yeah. And then all who are called by God through the gospel of Christ are God's free people. Man, that's exciting. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So part of this series is we're going back to the Old Testament. We're, we're picking up on original stories, themes, and we're seeing in them how God was laying the groundwork for the gospel. Right. Uh, maybe I should just give a little runway. I think we talked last time about sin and its effects on the individual. Right. So there's this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. There's this mistrust of God, this desire to gain personal mastery over circumstances that really becomes the essence of sin, regardless of something's prohibited or not. Okay. That's what we talked about last time. And then we see that played out as Cain kills his brother, and then violence spreads through society to the point that God has to cleanse the earth in this flood right that uh, in Genesis 6 through 9 so but now we're going to talk about this episode um, where people kind of they get their stuff together <laughs> right mm-hmm. they you start know. to form a, uh, institutions yeah 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 and so um, yeah we, we get up at this Tower of, of Babel story right or uh, Babylon I guess it becomes later but right now it just becomes this big uh, human enterprise and so you want to give the give us the read Genesis chapter 11 Genesis 11 come let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar then they said come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Okay. So, as a modern human being, how do you, how do you mm. hear this story? Well, so it does seem like God is threatened by them. Uh, yeah. He he's like, you know, we've got to put a stop to this. These people are going to reach to the heavens. They're going to, in fact, reach to the heavens and reach into my throne room and take over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty tall tower, you know. And he has to, he, and he has to keep that it. from happening. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> right. Yeah, he's concerned. Right, they they want to do this. Um, Could now, it be that that's the meaning of the story? Is yeah. there some interpretation in which that's the <laughs> yeah. that's the meaning? Well, I, I think of a very naive reading. You know, when the first cosmonaut went up into space and said, you know, I went all the way up there and God wasn't there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so the belief that God is somehow above the clouds, um, you know, the man in the sky, is kind of, kind of antiquated. I mean, it, it seems that God is present everywhere in the physical realm. And so... Whether he would he would limit his home geographically, it seems odd. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, and he seems to inhabit an eternal realm, and we know nothing here is eternal. It's all kind of time bound. So, <clears throat> whatever his uh, essential home, you know, wherever he's bodily, personally, or whatever you want to call it, is not of this. This route, so mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't think that, but uh, it doesn't seem that God is concerned with that. They said they want to build a tower to reach to the heavens, um, and God isn't like, "Oh no, here they come!" You mm-hmm. know, He's just like, um, "Here they go." They He's concerned about their 
um, the whole enterprise. And the whole enterprise, I, I think that there are really three layers or three objectives that they have. And the objectives are, <clears throat> let's build. That's one, right? Okay. But the building has uh, a purpose. Building is just, we, we get hung up on the building, but the building is just is just the manifestation of, of a deeper purpose and, or goals. And the goal is what? Let's make a name make for Make a ourselves. name for ourselves. Right. Yeah. So they want to do, they want to achieve something. Why build something reaching to the heavens? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody's yeah. in this competition to build the tallest skyscraper, but how right. functional is it? You know, is this is this a really great use of space and of materials? You know, um, you build a skyscraper and then you stick a, a, a spire on it just to <laughs> get that last mm-hmm. hundred feet, you know, mm-hmm. up in the air. Uh, what's the architectural purpose of it? Make a name for yourself. Uh-huh. I just mentioned the Burj Khalifa, and I don't, I think that's about to be superseded by one in um oh, what's the name of that little it's out there by papua new guinea and malaysia anyway uh it's about to be singapore superseded. no it's that little island it's like half of uh, malaysia it starts with a b mm-hmm. yeah. oh, well. Mm-hmm. we'll think of it later yeah anyway uh so they're about to be superseded but why do you know why do we do this uh that does seem to be a symbol of our strength our capacity you know our ingenuity um, that you know, it really begins with them, uh, with the technological advancement of, of brick making, you know. Um, so they'd previously, uh, presumably, been making buildings with rocks. <laughs> and uh, rocks are, are kind of dicey because you have to count on uh, the right geometric shapes. Uh, and if they're not quite right, you're certainly not going to build something really, really tall. But with bricks, now you can begin to come up with perfect rectangles and mm-hmm. build something really, really tall because they're just solid. So uh, there seems to be something to that. Later on, God will prescribe how his altar should be built. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And um, it was to be built with, you know, just natural stone, unhewn mm-hmm. stones. So there's something about this, um, our love for technology um, that is, is unhealthy for us. It can become that way. And I think, it, I think it has to do with this love of our own works, the works of our own hands. And that can be, you know, for all of us. But then it becomes this corporate enterprise as we begin to look to each other as resources um, instead of as fully orbed human beings. And we begin to see, rather than individuals, a hive um, and what can be achieved by us as a, as a hive and ultimately people get reduced. And this is all probably a sidebar, but anyway, this name is now made for us. We create a corporate identity mm-hmm. and that becomes kind of scary. And I, I don't know if everybody fully, re- because we just assume corporations, we call them corporations, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know. What do you think? What are the risks of, of incorporating, uh, becoming a, a shared entity? Well, there's a conformity there. We're all going to, we're all going to work in lockstep in unison, which sounds good, but you know, uh, that you're, you're snuffing out, um, you may be snuffing out individuals uh, and their uniqueness, or you may be, uh, you may be harnessing their uniqueness and their contributions, but forcing them, insisting that they conform. 
mm-hmm. to yeah. stated goals, and those may or may not be actually good for people or good for society. Yeah. Well, it's very self-referential, you know. It's like, what is, what is, what's the purpose of any corporation? Survive. We can write stuff on the letterhead. We can come up with a mission statement. But ultimately, the purpose of every institution is to survive. That's what's written on the backside of the uh, mission statement. You know, you take it off the wall and you pull it down and, and you look on the back and it says survive. There's just one word. Um, and that becomes a very amoral enterprise. And people begin to be capable of doing lots of things that are would otherwise be um, reprehensible as an individual, but we can do it for the sake of the institution and its endurance. Yeah, I'm, I'm studying through John now at the church, and um, there's just the, the tension there is between Jesus, who keeps calling people to kind of this wilderness way, and the leaders whose whole goal is the survival of the temple. And we'll talk about that uh, as we get a little farther into the conversation today. But um, this goal to make a a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the earth becomes so, you know, it's not a really productive goal. It's just all pulling inward. Um, And it's amoral. There's really nothing to it about benefiting anyone. You know, God had this vision for them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. They're kind of like, you know, probably not. So I, I read this when God says, you know, if they've begun to do this, then uh, nothing will be impossible for them. I read this as they would be, they will be capable of anything. Um, and, and why is that a problem? Right. Yeah. Like, so, and you just mentioned something else I want to ask about. God, yeah. God gave them, God gave them originally uh, a mandate to, essentially spread out, yeah. fill the earth. Mm-hmm. Here in this story, they're converging together right? and forming a city, a society, a building. Mm-hmm. And um, that is uh, their rebellion against God's original mandate. Yeah, They're starting to rely on each other more than right. is healthy. Right. Is that right? Yeah, it seems to be. It seems to be, yet again, another way to um, master circumstances, right? So... If, if I can't do it as an individual by, you know, overstepping, by reaching for equality with God, then maybe we can do it as a collective, you know? Uh-huh. Okay. And um, unfortunately, there's always that leader in the collective who also, you know, wants to be as God. Uh-huh. Um, but when human societies become overgrown, when they become uh, a God in and of themselves, uh, they really become, in the apocalyptic imagery, um, a beast, Mm-hmm. So uh, you get to Daniel, and there's these kingdoms that rise from the earth, and they're these creatures, these predatory kind of creatures. And I think that's what's rising out of the earth here, uh, a predatory creature, something that is going to cause massive uh, pain and destruction. So when uh, God says, um, if they can accomplish this tower, then nothing... W- then they'll be then 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 they'll be be able to accomplish anything. And what God is concerned about is the damage they'll do. Yeah, um, as a beast, perhaps. Yeah, the damage or just the the lack of any referent. You know, this lawlessness, I would call it. You know, so they become a society, but um, there is a lack of observance of normal natural limits on the creature 
created being. And that's when they become the beast. Um, So if you remember in Daniel, one of those beasts is, um, it's a, what, a lion, right? And, um, And with wings. And it is pulled up off of the earth and his wings are taken off of it. And we're told the mind of a human is given to it. Um, and that is referring to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom, and the humbling that Nebuchadnezzar went through as he had the season of um, what we would call probably insanity um, and somehow found his humanity um, there. And, and so this mind of a man is given to him. That's a, that was a healing sort of an experience that he went through when he came back to this proper orientation with reality with himself with god and uh, and that's what we need to get to but we we tend not to do that as we are immersed in our society and so that's why being called out is kind of important um so we talk some about this um so society, institutions, um, without them, we are potentially in trouble, right? You know, and so there's this call. We see, we see these abuses of police power, and there's a call to defund the police. Um, and maybe for some people that seems comforting. But I think for most, it's probably not comforting, <laughs> you know. And, and, and there's probably a more nuanced argument than let's just do without the police. Uh, it's, it's probably more like let's create other institutions that, you know, can instead of just enforcing the law, bring community services, respond when there's something like uh, mental illness involved or other things. So maybe that's some of the conversation and that's fine. I'm not a huge fan of, of police power, but um, at the same time, I really also not overly trusting of my fellow man either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're yeah, both corrupt. Fel- right. Humans are corrupt, so we need the police. Also, it's a humble recognition that the, the institutions become corrupt. Police become corrupt as well. Right. But it's better to have them than not have them in this fallen world. Right. Because we need institutions, governments, regulations, and laws to mm-hmm. restrain the evil that's in society. Yeah. Yeah, I was just in, I was just in Latvia and uh, talking to some Russian people, uh, Russian ethnicity and folks that are Latvian, you know, they were born there, but their families were moved there during the Soviet era. Okay. And um, you talk to them about the, under the Soviets, I mean, these people are in their late 40s, and so they have memories of the Soviet era, and um, they talk about, you know, it wasn't all bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, we think, oh, you know, it's gulags and repression and gray. Everything was gray colored, you know. Um, but they were like, people were a lot cleaner back then. Because <laughs> the law, I mean, you had an informant who was standing there monitoring, you know, at the, they were talking about the swimming pools. Um, they had somebody, if you try to get in the pool and your hair was dry and you hadn't been through the shower, you go back. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, nobody's getting in the pool and spreading their germs. And they and these people are uh, very, very clean and they appreciated that. They mm-hmm. they didn't mind oppression so long as their neighbor was also oppressed uh, in a way that was convenient for them. Um, and I have a friend, it's uh, dear friends that are uh, Albanian and they talk about 
how bad it was under under this jackbooted regime of Enver Hoxha. Uh, at the same time, they're like, but you know, there was a lot less crime. <laughs> you know, there, it wasn't all bad. Uh, you know, the kids could play in the streets, and you didn't wonder where they were at night, and you know, nobody was gonna mess up and do something really bad because the the least infraction, you're in the gulag. So. People just always towed the line. Nobody was trying to find that limit. They right. knew where it was. Which is not to say that people were righteous. Right. The people were just scared. Right, which is why post-communist um, countries continue to struggle because the individuals were not developed during that period morally. That It was a nanny state, and in a way, they're morally children. And as soon as the, the parental figure is out of the way, everything falls apart and it almost invariably becomes a kleptocracy um, as the most shrewd and least moral person rises, ascends to the top because there's nothing else to count on. And and so that's sad, but uh, it should be a cautionary tale, I think, for all of us that that kind of institutional control, the negative impact it has on the individual development morally, and that's really what we're talking about, right? And so um, laws really were brought in to limit the destruction. Bloodshed is an issue from Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel through Genesis 9. And God responds to it with this one instruction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, whoever sheds ma- human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Right. And so that's just this one rule, I guess, that God issues in this Noahic covenant after Noah comes off the ark. And uh, and so there's this concern, and it is addressed through law, and all of society uh, is swept up in it. But we were talking about there in Genesis 11, and I, and I think it's, it's not for nothing that Genesis 11 comes right before Genesis 12. And I'm mm-hmm. not talking about numbers, but that um, episode about the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Um, comes right before this glimmer of hope in Genesis 12. What? Genesis 12 is where God calls Abraham. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're introduced to Abraham, and it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. So this is called out. Right. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Right. Yeah. And so Abram has to, and... Um, this is, I don't think we fully appreciate this call of faith that, you know, God is, is calling on Abram to do. And um, it's, it's interesting. I, I like this, the verb tense. I don't know if you picked up on it. The Lord had said. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we take up in Genesis 12, we take up uh, partway into the call of Abram, um, where Abram has been called and hasn't gone anywhere until this time. <laughs> mm. So, uh, and and later in, uh, I think, Genesis 15, we, we see that it was back when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so Ur is right there in the plain of Shinar where the Tower of Babel is. Okay. Mm. And, uh, and so there's a, a society, I think, still there. I don't know how many years are supposed to intervene between the Tower episode and Abram's call. But Abram is part of a society that is in that same place. Okay. And and God's been talking to Abram. Right. Yeah. He's been calling him. He said, and he said, go from your country, your people, your father's household. So what's presumed in this is that he didn't. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, it, that it, that that was a big ask uh, for somebody who'd never met this god. Right. Um, but he he at least approximated it previously because we know that they did move. Um, you know, out of that Fertile Crescent area up uh, a little bit northwest into uh, Haran. And that's where um, Tira, Abram's father, dies. Okay. And yep. so here's, here's the backstory as I uh, imagine it. So God calls Abram. Abram tells Tira, hey, I got to go. Tira says, well, why would you go by yourself? Let's right. just all go together. Uh-huh. And everybody, the Colt clan moves, uh, and they don't get all the way to Canaan, but they're like, this is a good place. And they stop. They settle in Haran. And um, Nahor dies. And, um, you know, they they kind of do their thing there. And once Tira passes away, I think Abram's ready to continue the call. Mm-hmm. So just dropping a peg there that that's what this wasn't some immediate like, yeah, you want me to do that? Here I go. Mm-hmm. But that Abram had, had approximated it, and somehow that didn't nullify the call. Um, and the call had been that to make him a great nation, to bless him and all this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so finally in 12.4, Abram. So, so Abram went. Yeah. As the Lord had told him. Yeah. And Lot went with him. Yeah. So he still doesn't leave everybody behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, it, but notice that the call is... Leave, you know, and then there's a promise to everything. Yeah, that 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 the antithesis really of this Genesis 11. So that's why I say that the concern in Genesis 11 isn't so much about the tower itself or achievement of humankind. It is about our reliance on our collective strength and the collective identity that we give ourselves, and that that makes us capable of of untold harm mm-hmm. <laughs> and evil, even though those things are a part of controlling individual evil, they begin to facilitate corporate evil, which can be so much worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we saw that in the 20th century. We always, that's, sure. that's, and when we, when we recount the evils of the 20th century, that is essentially what we're talking about. Sure. Yeah. Or, you know, you think about Russia right now going into Ukraine and uh-huh. the civilian deaths and stuff, or, you know, U.S. going into Iraq or Afghanistan. I mean, that, that there's this ostensible righteous cause that uh, the leaders always say that they're traveling under. And in that way, you get the foot soldiers to slaughter thousands of innocents. Uh, that's, you know, as much as we might struggle with somebody like Ted Kaczynski, who just passed away. He's an ideologue, he lived by himself. I mean, this this guy, for all of his failings, did see that there's a corporate evil, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? He, he is, he is uh, from an, an ungodly standpoint, wrestling with this Tower of Babel dynamic. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, mm-hmm. if you, look in it a little bit of his uh manifesto it's i tried to read it it was just too hard to read i mean it's just rantings but his concern is about technology and how it rob deprives us of our individuality and his response to that move into a shed you know get back to nature and then blow people up to get noticed because he's trying to solve the problem but again without without god in the mix we we come back to this anarchic approach mm-hmm. that ends up 
being an individual deciding to ruin somebody's life or to take somebody's life for the sake of what they think is their ideal. So now we're trapped, right? We're trapped between the individual who is uh, off the rails and undermining society or society that has become so cohesive and um, efficient that it begins to rob the individual. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you don't have anybody worth saving because everybody's been dehumanized. Mm. Um, And so what's the answer? It seems to be this call. Okay. Uh, And so God calls him to leave his country. Okay, I can leave my country. Your clan, your people, well, that seems a bit much. And your father's household. Man, you know, you want me to just walk out there without anything. That is a huge ask, a huge challenge. He finally does go, right? And um, and so this later we, we see that this was about faith, and you can see it on, on the front end. I mean, it's trust. Go to a land I'll show you. I mean, he doesn't even tell him where he's going, right? <laughs> but there, there seems to be this presumption that God is going to be with him in that. Um, and so... I, uh, I contend from this that what we get in Abram at this point is the beginnings of actual righteous living. Okay. So if somebody believes God enough to be able to let go of their institutions, mm-hmm. their country, so, you know, their, their legacy, their, their clan and their, even their family of origin and, and to go off into a whole new enterprise that 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 does something to somebody it it frees them from the kinds of um, destructive behaviors that have arisen from this this pretension of godhood that we saw back in the garden just as you know we'd said jesus comes to relinquish equality with god so abram he's not technically relinquishing equality with God. We don't know what kind of a man he was previously, but we do know that here's somebody who's has cast himself on the voice of God. Right. Um, and the promise of God. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that turns into, I think, some practical living. Right. So in 13, we get, there's conflict. Lot takes, I mean, Abram takes Lot, which God already told him, don't do that. <laughs> you know, leave everybody and go. I mean, I'm assuming he could take his wife, but other than that. Um, so he takes his household, and, and, and that includes Lot. Lot goes along, mm-hmm. immediately turns into issues as their herdsmen are expanding, and they're quarreling over pasture rights. Um, and Abram propose, proposes a solution. Right, Abraham. Abram offers Lot this the better the better land. Right, you can just have it. Right, you know, I'm entrusting my future to God. I'm just going to let you have the best. Right, and, well, and it's a God. there's a respect, a volitional respect. Like, so Lot is is uh, subordinate in the society to Abram. Right, Abram's his uncle, mm-hmm. so he's older um, in in the family pecking order and all of that. He's the householder. Um, and, and so he could have just used his privilege, um, and society would say he must use it. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, it's all chaos. If the younger people can uh, supersede the older, mm-hmm. then it's chaos, and we can't allow that. And yet Abram turns and, and 
not only tells Lot, you go take the nice route, but gives him the choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just very powerful. It's a very powerful lesson for us to learn. Uh, and that is that the freedom that comes through faith in God, the trust in God, it gives freedom to other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because really nothing's at stake. God's made his promise. If we believe that promise now, I'm free to set you free. What you do or don't do is not going to destroy me. So he just gives him the freedom, and that brings peace in a situation of conflict. Mm-hmm. So I, I see that as a powerful and effective consequence of, uh, of these overtures of faith. As I've said, you know, Abram's faith is still pretty um, fetal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's incipient. It's in its very early stages, and yet it's enough that he's able to to really minister grace. And that's that's really what we see him giving to Lot. Mm-hmm. In that he is not bound in any way to provide first choice to Lot. And yet because he's not bound, you know, then it becomes a gracious choice to say you you pick and Lot of course picks the better and it doesn't go well for him, but that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um and then on the other side of it, we, we get this battle. So Lot picking the wrong spot, and eventually the Sodom and Gomorrah are captured, the, the kind of city-states where Lot is living in the um, kind of the, you know, the outskirts. And they're, they're drawn into captivity as they're captured by this uh, conglomerate of five kings, and you know, it's five kings versus four, and... Um, finally, the Abram decides, hey, he's going to get involved because Lot got taken. Abram goes. He marshals his household. Somehow he's got 300 men in his household. So this is a big group of folks, right? Uh, and, and he takes them. He recaptures everything. And so there's this kind of celebration and, and this victory celebration, this dinner. And uh, lots of things there in Genesis 14. But but one thing is, is that the king of Sodom comes up to Abram with a deal, right? And he says, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so it sounds like a pretty good deal. I mean, who, want, who wants the people? Anyway, they're going to be trouble. Um, but for the king of Sodom, people are a commodity. <laughs> and that's going to turn into something later, right? Mm-hmm. Um but Abram, Abram says, well, no deal, right? Now, again, this guy's living in a foreign land. He really shouldn't make enemies of anybody. And here's somebody who's, who's publicly coming out and, and offering Abram all of the spoils of this battle. And to turn down that would be a slight and an insult um, in, a, in a time and a place and a circumstance where Abram can hardly afford to make enemies. Here he goes. Um, with a raised hand, I've sworn an oath to the Lord, the Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. He just wants the King of Sodom to know who he's talking about. Uh, that I will accept nothing belonging to you. I mean, what is that? This was an offer of reward for Abraham right. rescuing them. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Like, you really go to a, you go to trouble. You buy someone a really elaborate gift and you give it to them, and they're like, "No thanks. I'll I'll just I'll buy my own." You know, rather than accept from you, what what kind of a slight is that? You know that, and then to do it publicly, 
And he says, I, I want to accept a thread or a strap of a sandal from you so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. Um, and so here's this kind of slight, but it, I, want to, I want to bring this out because here you are, you know, you're Abram. Uh, you're a foreigner in a strange land. Uh, you've gone and done something heroic at, at great risk yourself and your household. Um, you've made enemies of these other kings, uh, you know, or at least these other peoples. They aren't completely wiped out, right? They're still there. So now he's living. He's isolated. He doesn't have city walls. Um, he's made lots of enemies. Here's somebody that's giving him means. Uh, you know, I mean, if you can imagine... Um, Bill Gates, you know, you, you came out with a thing, an idea that helped him and his foundation, and he's just thankful. And he's saying, you know, hey, I want to set you up. I'm going to give you $10 billion in perpetuity to, to make the world a better place. And you say, you know, Bill, I, I just don't appreciate some of the things you've been doing around the world, and I just I won't accept the money. Right. That just that seems insane. Mm -hmm. That would be madness. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And um, but Abram is is immune to the appeal of this offer. Just as he had no need to coerce or control or assert his privilege when it came to this conflict with Lot, he also has no need to accept um, this this enticement. And so here's Abram. He's walking around. He seems to be somewhat free of the need to coerce, but also free of this susceptibility to be um, enticed or, or somehow compromised through uh, his own gain. And to me, that, that says, you know, somebody like that, I feel like you can trust them. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that would be somebody who's basically a good person, you know, I, we could say, well, you know, what good did, he, did Abram do to the world? And probably nothing. <laughs> you know, there's nothing. He didn't make the world a better place, I don't think. Um, but I think that he stands as somebody who's an example, that this call begins to bear fruit in the life of the individual. And we begin to see it in Abram. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's the Abram story and the calling out. And it's calling out, it's a call, let's just clarify, it's a call to live by faith. Yes. Right? It's not a call to exit one society and form a new society based on your control. Right. And, 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 and based on conformity. Mm -hmm. This is a call to go live by faith. Right. Rather than self-reliance upon the individual or upon the group. Right. Yeah. Uh, and faith becomes, it's, faith is necessarily individual. You, nobody Faith can never be a larger than one individual in God, this faith society. Um, and so as Abraham's Abram becomes Abraham, and we'll talk more about that next time, but um, as his people multiply and they become a nation, and that's been God's promise that they would be a nation. The irony is, is that you can't predicate a nation on faith. <laughs> uh, just, be, you know, you, you can facilitate faith, I think, corporately. But you can't presume faith on the individual. You have to presume self-interest, and self-interest presumes law. Um, and so what we see is that the Israelites immediately become like the people at Babel. 
mm-hmm. as God calls them out of Egypt, and that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they immediately begin to band together. And so as their numbers increase and they begin to see themselves as having strength in numbers, um, they're at um, Kadesh Barnea when God wants them to go and take the land. And he sends out the 12 spies. You know, who is it that is for God, the majority or the minority, right? Right, just a few. Right, the minority's for God. The majority, they band together. They decide, hey, let's let's just do this. We're strong enough, right? And, and they decide, we're going to make our own way. And that doesn't go well. Um, and then God says, well, you're not going to go in, and you're going to wander the wilderness. And they don't like that, so they decide, no, we will go in. And they decide to go ahead and go after somebody smaller than them. And Because, again, strength in numbers, that doesn't go well. Um, without God on their side, then things aren't going right. And as Moses is about to die, he teaches them a song, the song of Moses, right? If you've been around in church, say, for 50 years like me, uh, then you've heard of the song of Moses, right? In Revelation, we're told that they're singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't exactly know what the song of the Lamb is, uh, you know, except the gospel probably, but um, Moses actually has a song that he teaches Israel in Deuteronomy 32. And the song is, You Suck. <laughs> That's the title of the song, right? Uh, and and uh, here's a, a part of it, right? You want to you Je- sing it? No, you have to sing it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. Yeah, so that's the song. And Abra, you know, Moses is like, uh, God gave me a song, you know. <laughs> Get up in church. God gave me a song. You stink. Uh but it, it's this warning, right, that, that we become, as we are successful corporately, we tend to forget God. And then God would tend to reject us as he resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Um, and when that happens, he says they became, they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful, right? And mm-hmm. when we get to Jesus, Israel has been through all of this stuff, you know, they've been really chastened by God. They've been through a time of captivity. They um, have been conquered by foreign people, and now they're still occupied by Rome. But they're at a place of, I don't know, sustainable discomfort where they have a temple. They're allowed a degree of autonomy, but they are also occupied by Roman soldiers. Um, And we get to Jesus is there. He comes, and now he threatens this peace. Mm-hmm. His existence threatens this peace. Mm-hmm. And Israel is yet again called to choose between their corporate strength and their own ingenuity and a walk with God, and a life with God as with Abraham or Abram. Right. And so what are they going to pick? Um, John eleven forty seven through 50, I think, is, is extremely telling. You want to give us that one? Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. 
Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, you know, this idea, what are we accomplishing? <laughs> what, are, what are we building? Um, uh, what, what's, the, what's the outcome of our life? Uh, and Jesus in John 15 speaks of fruit. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that we shouldn't want to have some sort of an outcome of our life. It's just, it's not going to come through our own ingenuity, our own strength, our own accomplishments. It's not going to come through our corporate power and the ways that we think it's going to come. It's going to come through this trust in him, this willingness to step out mm-hmm. uh, from the structures of this world, not this willingness to play ball. Mm-hmm. And that's really what these these Jewish people at the time were doing, they were relying on the empire and they feared the empire. Um, and they created up their own little micro empire underneath it. And all of that kind of resulted in a murderous in- intent toward the son of God. Uh, we're told in on down in that story that this was all engineered by God because that's so the one thing that God could count on people to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be evil. So use that. You know, that, that's written into the script. And so God's not fooled by it. It's not like, doggone it, you know, we'll get them next time. You know, they may have won the battle, but we'll win the war. No, it's all the, the things that the people did uh, were part of God's plan. But, do you know, do we want to be unwitting pawns held accountable for our own sin or do we want to be joyful participants in what he's doing um i I hope it would be the latter um but that that drive that they have to rescue what their institutions and to kill jesus to do it is indicative of what moses had warned in deuteronomy 32 that in times of relative prosperity relative strength, people will always become what Moses called a perverse generation. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, um, speaks of that, you know, and he turns and says, you wicked and perverse generation, how long will I be among you? Um, But that brings us to, and and we've spoken of this in previous podcasts, the idea of being saved. Mm -hmm. And salvation is part and parcel with being called out. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if because you say... we're saved from corrupt society. Right, yeah. And so we're called out together. Uh, we're called out as individuals, but on the other side, we find a new society of individuals who've been called out. And it's critical to remember this because otherwise the Song of Moses is going to apply to the church as it does, as it has. Mm-hmm. And... I, I just I think it's in, there's an incalculable incalculable loss that comes to the name of Christ in our society when the church begins to operate like the people at Babel. Come, let us build and make a name, mm-hmm. lest we be scattered. Mm-hmm. 
really have to go back and ask, you know, why is it that as soon as we get, you know, we go to plant a church and, and we, as soon as we get 30 or 40 people, we start raising money to build a, a building. And then, uh, then we, we've got we've to put a name on it, mm-hmm. right? We incorporate, maybe we did that first, but we just crave these dynamics of, of having shared uh, property, a shared identity. I mean, if you look at all the leadership literature and churches, it, it is really an, a lesson in how to leverage these elementary principles of the world to build a religious institution. And, you know, as somebody who's probably, you know, I, I don't see a whole lot of fruit from what I'm doing and have done, but I, I want to abide in him because I trust that it, it matters, right? It matters um, to renounce the ways of the world. Right. And, and, live, and go by faith instead. Right. It, and if whatever modicum of faith I have or you have or whatever, but I, I think that, that we have to be asking as a movement, um, where are we trending? Are we more like Abram? And, and I think in every generation, we, we have to take up that call. What happens time and again is that somebody takes up that call and they're called out and God uses them mightily. And then their, their legacy, the people who come behind them, just start building monuments around them. Mm-hmm. And you can watch, you know, you can watch the Holy Spirit leave the building when that happens. And we never seem to learn the lesson from history on that. It just happens again and again. And uh, I think it's because we don't have the resources. We don't quite understand that the gospel is salvation from that approach. (laughs) You know, that Mm -hmm. that is the very thing we've been saved from. Mm -hmm. If we understood that at the very core, the very thing we've been saved from, you know, it's like if we decided, you know, what's really popular nowadays is methamphetamine. I really feel like if we offered free methamphetamine that people would be up for worship all night, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they, we'd have a lot bigger church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody understands, hey, that, that's not probably the best way. We say, well, you know, people really like alcohol, you know. What if we just get wasted every time? we I mean, The bars have no problem getting uh, customers, mm-hmm. you know. What, what if we just sold low, low price? We had a low price bar that we opened and everybody could just come and get plastered and and we could have a, a bus ministry that take everybody home, and mm-hmm. we'd reduce drunk driving. It'd be amazing. We just wouldn't do that because from uh, our Puritan legacy says, no, that's inherently antithetical to the gospel. But none of those things are as dangerous as these corporate dynamics. These are the things that we are saved from because these things have the potential to cause all kinds of harm hiding under the guise of the greater good as we've seen and we mentioned last time in the southern baptist church with the uh, abuse and the cover-up but that's just microcosm for all probably religious groups as we've seen with the catholics it's just it's astounding it's really beyond human nature to see this conspiracy of pederasty that has gone on for decades and abuse and just horrific i mean just horror movie kinds of evil well how do we get there right i i think we get there because if we begun to 
accomplish stuff in our own strength, then there's no, there's nothing that we're not capable of. And, and so that's the fear. Um, and so this idea of becoming a corrupt society or perverse generation, as Moses called it, um, is the, is the call to salvation in Acts 2. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching to these, this, uh, this, this crowd of Jews. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So I'm seeing the phrase, I'm seeing call and I'm seeing corrupt generation. Yeah. So God is calling people. Yeah. And... Um, and then there's also this idea of being saved from this corrupt generation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what is salvation? And, it, and I think if we, if we, the problem is, I think that in, especially in a post revivalist church in America, and maybe people don't realize that a lot of the dynamics of church in America came from uh, frontier revivalism, this idea of awakenings and itinerant preachers, kind of a cult of personality. And um, and so, I don't know, those who are alive in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there, there were lots of revival meetings. They would, you'd schedule something, it'd be a week long, you bring a preacher from outside, everybody walks the aisle, you know, supposedly or maybe real, actually gives their life to Christ and all that. But, um, and, and but a lot of our dynamics, a lot of our understanding of the gospel comes around this kind of preaching that gets somebody to walk the aisle. Okay. And, and so our understanding of the gospel is, is that it is for that purpose, to bring someone to this moment of fear over their eternal destiny and a desire to be rescued from the guilt that they have. And so it's about guilt, it's about punishment, and not that those things aren't in the mix, but this first sermon isn't um, so much. I mean, certainly he obviously brings an indictment against them for you know executing Jesus, which mm-hmm. they literally did, and they're convicted over that. But the problem, the thing that they need saving from is their society, the society that they built. Their theocratic society had become perverse, had become corrupt, as demonstrated by the decision to betray Jesus, have him executed. Um, so they and, couldn't see and that the, and, the, and, the, and, there's, and there's sins, personal sins in the mix, and there's the forgiveness of sin mm-hmm. in the mix, because he mentions that as well. Right. So it's not as though they need merely to um, form a new group. Right. They need the forgiveness of their personal sin. Yeah. And they need the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's mentioned in here. Right. These are some of the more traditional evangelical ideas. Sure. Forgiveness of sins, 
gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You're you're saying, well, don't lose sight of the fact that it's that these things express themselves in in in, in a corrupt society. Right. Well, and they're they are really by way of getting saved. That the salvation is from the corrupt society and its um, destiny. So God is eventually just as He did in the day of Noah. Uh, just as he did with Sodom and Gomorrah, that these judgments are on a whole societies and that there is a call to come out mm-hmm. before that society faces this this kind of cataclysm. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, But it comes by way of personal repentance, mm-hmm. receiving forgiveness, gift of the Holy Spirit. Right, because we can't come out of that society while we are, while we're beholden to it, while it has a claim on us, indictment uh, against us based on its rules and and prescriptions. So we have to be free of that. Jesus, he did away with our sinful, um, our guilt, but he also did away with the law that that society is predicated on and that gives that society claim on us. So he does away with that and he regenerates us. He gives us a new um, operating system, a new way to live, a new set of desires. He makes us a different kind of people. All of that is part and parcel to escaping this corrupt society. You know, it's just like without that, we become like um, Ham that that went, you know, Noah is rescued from a corrupt society by the flood. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is as soon as he gets off the ark, what does he do? He gets drunk laying there naked, you know, his son, for some reason, it looks at him naked and tells his brothers about it. And, and this all becomes a big negative thing, curse on Ham um, for that. But we see that these people who were part of a corrupt society, they were surrounded by it, they're called out of it, and they bring corruption with them mm-hmm. off of the ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lot escapes Sodom and Gomorrah with his daughters, Eventually, incest, right, and and these um, this this episode that's very dark, you know, not as dark maybe as what he just left in Sodom and Gomorrah, but pretty dark, mm-hmm. right? Uh, depends on your perspective, but again, so people in these Old Testament episodes are are called out, but they bring that corruption with them on out on their way out the door, mm-hmm. and what Jesus is giving us is this opportunity to be cleansed of that corruption on the way out to fully abandon not just a physical location or immediate presence of corrupt people but to abandon the corrupt lifestyle and it is through faith that that happens so it's a call to a a life of faith Um, and so but that life of faith after there has been a life of law it is predicated on um this redemption that comes through Jesus so that we can begin to live by faith um, and not have to live according to the old structures and systems. Uh, but all I have to say is this is this is something that it, it's I feel a lot of alarm over the discovery that the way we do church is the thing we've been saved from, that way we do church in many cases in America is the very thing that Jesus died to save us from. And so that's alarming to me. Um, and I don't, I'm not in a position to fix it. Um, and I don't think people should leave their churches necessarily, but I, I think they should be vigilant 
not to come under influence of of a group group conformity mm-hmm. and manipulation right and or even just kind of unchallenged human authority uh, I know that you know there have been several groups religious groups churches parachurch organizations that have highly emphasized uh, the idea of spiritual authority that if someone's in a position of authority they have unquestionable power to tell us what to do and that if we submit to them we're submitting to God and if we defy them we're defying God and that belief system has made its way into the church and it always leads to abuse and corruption malfeasance Um, there's not a time where it doesn't you can set your watch by it it's coming Mm -hmm. yes Paul says that we're supposed to submit to the authorities but that's out in the world man that's when we're in the world and we're living under that tier in the church, he says, hey, if you're in a leadership position, that means you serve. You know, you're the servant of all. This isn't some sort of um, entitlement to tell other people what to do. That's just wrong. You know, that is that is a disease that is bringing over this poison. You know, if you can imagine a people who've just been ravaged by a pandemic and they finally found a, a a place that's free of this disease and somebody decides you know what we need we need some more of that disease you know disease and they and they just bring it in and it's just like you know uh, that is going to spread it's going to undermine everything and um, I, I think we need to be concerned about that uh, we need to be free of it and so it's, it's up to each individual Christian, I think, to stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given. And um, ultimately, that's all we can do. I can't make somebody else relinquish their power. But what I can do is I can, I can submit where that's appropriate because there's really nothing at stake for me. God's got me. Um, but I can also be free of any fear or need to conform mm-hmm. and can maintain my own boundaries mm-hmm. and my integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's living by faith. We're called out to live by faith. That's it. Yeah. And so that's all the way back at Genesis 12, that, that, that gospel message, um, as Paul says, uh, he personifies the Bible and he says, the scripture preached the gospel to Abram, right? Mm-hmm. All the nations will be blessed through you. And so all the way back in Genesis 12, there's this promise that if we will live by the faith of Abraham, that we will participate in that blessing. Just as the sin in the garden brought a curse, so this walk of faith mm. is, is predicated on a blessing. And then Abraham is a model of faith, and then Christ is the the one who fulfills that model of faith. So right. we have in Romans, Paul is talking about the faith of Abraham, and then he transitions into the faith of Jesus Christ. Right. Well, he says that, and we'll talk about this next time, but he says the promise was made to Abraham and his offspring, or his seed. And seed is a collective noun in Hebrew, Greek, and English. Um, and so there's this in deliberate uh, double entendre that God uses when he says, you know, he makes his promise to Abram and his seed. So we can read that as 
those who have sprung from him, the nation of Israel, but we can also read it as an individual who's descended from him, mm-hmm. who is fertile. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Jesus becomes. He becomes the uh, germ of Abram, Abraham, of Abrahamic faith is now transferable. Remember I said that, we, that faith is an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as God is, is working out Israel's history, it is predicated on unbelief. <laughs> That's the irony. Uh, Paul talks about the law is not a faith. Mm-hmm. And in Romans 3, he says, you know, hey, this law was given in case some didn't believe. Mm-hmm. Right? So, it, you know, if you were in Israel and you didn't have that Abrahamic trust in God, you're still going to toe the line because you don't want people throwing rocks at your head. Mm-hmm. That's not faith. That's just self-preservation like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that is the presumption. How do you build a nation on, based on this individual call to believe? Well, you do it if you have the means to propagate this faith mm-hmm. throughout the millions. Mm-hmm. And that is what Jesus has brought us. Mm. He has brought us the seed of faith. He is the seed of Abrahamic faith. And through that seed, we receive the Abrahamic blessing. We join the Abrahamic nation as Israel from among the Gentiles. And that's a whole other great mystery. There you go. For next time. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. If you've got questions, email us at discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com. Or if you just want somebody to talk to. (laughs) Uh, We'll be waiting. That's right.